This could be, this is the last chapter of George Orwell's Animal Farm. And this could be actually a very quick chapter. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey! This is Gene. Thanks for listening. So this is going to be our last chapter of the Sunday special here of um, Animal Farm by George Orwell. Chapter 10, last chapter. I told you it's a rather short book. Uh, we are going to be doing other Sunday specials. I just bought a fantastic book. Uh, we're not going to read from the book, but we're going to do something really different. I'm going to talk to you about it later on this week, or maybe depending on how long it takes me to get through this chapter later on today. Now, chapter 10. Um, this is a horribly depressing chapter, and I think this chapter is probably what I was expecting through this entire book. Okay, this is what the conclusion is. It's a very, right now, it's, it's timed at late into Animal Farm, few years later. Uh, everything in, on Animal Farm is dead. Uh, not the animals, but the, just life is dead. Um, animal Farm cannot keep up their own animals. They have to import animals. It's a very depressing portion of the book. Now, I'm going to comment a couple of times, but unlike the last few chapters, unlike the rest of the book, the previous nine chapters, not going to be a lot of comment. It'll be one or two words. There's just going to be one section that I'll actually talk about, and I'm not going to talk a lot about it, but let's just, let's just get right into it. And uh, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. So chapter 10. Years passed. The seasons came and went. The short animal lives fled by. A time came when there was no one who remembered the old days before the rebellion, except Clover, Benjamin, Moses the Raven, and a number of pigs. Muriel was dead. Bluebell, Jesse, and Pincher were dead. Jones was, too, dead. He had died of inebriates home in an other part of the country. He was a drunk and he died. Snowball was forgotten. Boxer was forgotten, except for the few who had known him. Clover was an old stout mare now, stiff in the joints with a tendency to, a tendency to roomy eyes. She was two years past retiring age, but in fact no animal actually ever retired. We talked about that. She's becoming worthless, and she'll be sent to the glue factory. The talk of setting aside a corner of the pasture for superannuated animals had long since been dropped. Napoleon was now a mature boar of 24 stone. Squealer, that's his weight, by the way. Squealer was so fat that he could with difficulty see out of his own eyes. Only Benjamin was much the same as ever, except... Being, for being a little grayer around the muscle, and his, and since Boxer's death, more morose and taciturn than ever. There were many more creatures on the farm now. 
though the increase was not great as had been expected earlier in earlier years. Many animals had been born to whom the rebellion was only a dim tradition, passed on by word of mouth, and others had been bought who <coughs> had never mentioned of such a thing before the arrival. The farm possessed three horses now besides Clover. They were fine, upstanding beasts, willing workers, and good comrades, but very stupid. None of them proved able to learn the alphabet beyond the letter B. They accepted everything that they were told about the rebellion and the principles of animalism, especially from Clover, for whom they had almost filial respect. But it was doubtful whether they understood very much of it. This is indoctrination. Indoctrination does not teach. Indoctrination educates to a belief system. That's not in the book, by the way. And that's what's happening with all our children today. Our children don't remember the great freedoms of the 80s. Heck, they don't remember 9-11 today. That's kind of disturbing, isn't it? But that's what's happening. It's about indoctrination. Anim the animals in Animal Farm weren't born into Animal Farm, so they never knew. Just like our children today were not born into 9-11, and they don't remember it. You can ask them, what happened on September 11, 2001, and they won't be able to answer you. It's disturbing, but that's the point of indoctrination. Okay, I lied a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit. The farm was more prosperous now and better organized. It had even a large it had even been enlarged by two fields, which had been bought from Mr. Pilkington. The windmill had been successfully completed at last, and the farm possessed a threshing machine and had an elevator of its own. And various new buildings had been added to it. Wimper had bought himself a dog cart. The windmill, however, had not after all, been used for generating electrical power. It was used for milling corn and brought in a handsome money profit. The animals were hard at work building yet another windmill. When that one was finished, so it was said, the dynamos would be installed. But the luxuries of which Snowball had once taught the animals to dream, the stalls with the electric light and hot and cold water, the three-day week, were no longer talked about. Napoleon had denounced such ideas as contrary to the spirit of animalism. The truest happiness, he said, lay in working hard and living frugally. Um, I guess you can guess who's living frugally. Somehow it seemed as though the farm had grown richer without making the animals themselves any richer, except, of course, for the pigs and the dogs. Perhaps this was partly because there were so many pigs and so many dogs. It was not that these creatures did not work after their fashion. There was, as Squealer was never tired of explaining, endless work in supervision and organization of the farm. Much of this work was a kind that the other animals were too ignorant to understand. For example, Squealer told them that the pigs had to expend enormous labors every day upon mysterious things called files, reports, minutes, and memoranda. These were large sheets of paper which had to be closely covered with writing, and as soon as they were so covered, they were burnt in the furnace. This was the highest 
importance for the welfare of the farm, Squealer said. But still, neither pigs nor dogs produced any food by their own labor, and there were very many of them, and their appetites were always good. As for the others, their life, so far as they knew, was as it had been always been. They were generally hungry, they slept on straw, they drank from the pool, they labored in the fields. In winter they were troubled by the cold, and in summer by the flies. Sometimes the older ones among them racked their dim memories and tried to determine whether in the early days of the rebellion, when, Joe's exp when Jones's expulsion was still re recent, things had been better or worse than now. They could not remember. There was nothing with which they could compare their present lives. They had nothing to go on except Squealer's lists of figures, which invariably demonstrated that everything was getting better and better. The animals found the problem insoluble. In any case, they had little time for speculating on things now. Only old Benjamin professed to remember every detail of his long life and to know that things never had been nor ever could be much better or much worse, hunger, hardship, and disappointment being, so he said, the unalterable law of life. The great lies have taken hold, and now they don't know what's a lie and what's truth. There's no history. History has been completely eliminated. Even Snowball is not around. He's not a thing anymore. Boxer, not a thing anymore. Now, it's just indoctrinated animals, whether they be bought as slaves or whether they be raised. And only one or two groups enjoy the benefits of labor. This is communism. This is tyranny. That's what Orwell's point is. Let's continue. Okay, so I'm talking a little more than I should. And yet the animals never gave up hope. More, they never lost, even for an instant, their sense of honor and privilege in being members of Animal Farm. They were still the only farm in the whole country, in all England, owned and operated by animals. Not one of them, not even the youngest, not even the newcomers who had been brought from farms 10 or 20 miles away, ever ceased to marvel at that. And when they heard the gun booming and saw the green flag fluttering at the masthead, their hearts swelled with imperishable pride. And the talk turned away towards old heroic days, the expulsion of Jones, the writing of the Seven Commandments, the great battles in which human invaders had been defeated. None of the old dreams had been abandoned. The Republic of the Animals, which Major had foretold, when the green fields of England should be untrodden by human feet, was still believed in. Now, mind you, do you think it was actually Major that got the credit for any of this? Probably not. If we destroy history, we destroy history. The chances are the one who came up with this would have been Napoleon. And when Napoleon dies... Napoleon will be the one that came up with it. Someday it was coming. It might not be soon. It might not be within the lifetime of any animal now living. But still it was coming. Even the tuned beast of England was perhaps hummed secretly here and there. At any rate, 
It was a fact that every animal on the farm knew it. Though no one would have dared sing it aloud, it might be that their lives were hard and that not all their hopes had been fulfilled, but they were conscious that they were not the other animals. If they went hungry, it was not from feeding tyrannical human beings. If they worked hard, at least they worked for themselves. No creature among them went on two legs. No creature called any other creature master. All animals were equal. Well, there's some bullshit we're going to deal with in a few seconds. One day in early summer, Squealer ordered the sheep to follow him and led them out to a piece of waste ground at the other end of the farm, which had become overgrown with birch saplings. The sheep went, spent the whole day there browsing at their leaves under Squealer's supervision. In the evening, he returned to the farmhouse himself, but, as it was warm weather, told the sheep to stay there, stay where they were. It ended by their remaining there for the whole week, during which time the other animals saw nothing of them. Squealer was with, uh, with, with them for the greater part of every day. He was, he said, teaching them to sing a new song, for which privacy was needed. It was just after the sheep had returned, on the pleasant evening when animals had finished work and were making their way to the farm buildings, that terrified neighing of a horse sounded from the yard. Startled, the animals stopped in their tracks. It was Clover's voice. She neighed again, and all the animals broke into a gallop and rushed into the yard. Then they saw what Clover had seen. A pig was walking on his hind legs. Yes, it was Squealer. A little awkwardly, as though not quite used to supporting his considerable bulk in that position, but with perfect balance, he was strolling across the yard. And a moment later, out from the door of the farmhouse came a long file of pigs, all walking on their hind legs. Some did it better than others, one or two of them even a stifle unsteady and looked as though they would have like to support themselves with a stick, but every one of them made their way around the yard successfully. And finally, there was a tremendous baying of dogs and a shrill crowing from the black cockerel. And out came Napoleon himself, majestically upright, casting haughty glances from side to side, and with his dogs gambling around him. He carried a whip in his trotter. There was a deadly silence. Amazed, terrified, huddling together, the animals watched the long line of pigs march slowly around the farm. It was as though the world had turned upside down. Then there came a moment when the first shock had worn off, and when, in spite of everything, in spite of the terror of the dogs and of the habit developed through long years of never complaining, never criticizing, no matter what happened, they might have uttered some word of protest, but just at that moment, as though at a single signal, all the sheep burst into a tremendous bleeding of four legs good, two legs better, four legs good, two legs better, four legs good, two legs better. I don't know if this was a poem or what it is, but it was called the Confession of the English. There's many different names for it. But here it is, and this is the long version. And it was about the Nazis in Germany. 
and how no one did anything to stop it. So here it is. And you'll probably recognize it. And I'm reading it from Wikipedia because it really is something I'll never forget. Quote, First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and, but, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. That is exactly what Orwell is saying in that paragraph. Very disturbing. There must be revolution. This is what makes our country great compared to communist and tyrannical and fascist governments, dictatorships, is that we are taught by our own constitution that we must revolt against a tyrannical government. So let's continue. It went on for five minutes without stopping, and by the time the sheep had quieted down, the chance to utter any protest had passed, for the pigs had marched back into the farmhouse. Benjamin felt a nose nuzzling at his shoulder. He looked around. It was Clover. Her old eyes looked dimmer, dimmer than ever. Without saying anything, she tugged gently on his mane and led him round to the end of the big barn, where the seven commandments were written. For a minute or two, they stood gazing at the tarred wall with its white lettering. My sight is failing, she said finally. Even when I was young, I could not have read what was written there. It appears to me that the wall looks different. Are there seven commandments the same as they used to be, Benjamin? For once, Benjamin consented to break his rule, and he read out to her, what was written on the wall. There was th nothing there except a single commandment. It ran, All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. This is the one quote I never want you to forget. When I hear Gavin Newsom going to a party of 50 people, when he orders everyone else to be locked down, Remember that statement. When you hear Lori Lightfoot and Nancy Pelosi are going to get their hair done, when they have demanded that all hair salons and barbershops be closed, remember this statement. When you see a politician who screams about mask mandates but doesn't wear a mask in public, Remember this statement. When you see Antifa members being praised by the left, but condemning Trump supporters for not wearing masks or getting together during a pandemic, remember this statement. When you see a leftist demanding tax raises on the rest of the population, but then paying less than 10% taxes themselves. Remember this statement. Heck, 
if you have a boss who says you must do something and this is why, but he does completely the opposite, remember this statement. This is one that everybody in our country should memorize because it is an important statement. Because we're all created equal, but some are more equal than others. Let's continue. After that, it did not seem strange when the next day the pigs who were supervising the work of the farm all carried whips in their trotters. It did not seem strange to learn that the pigs had bought themselves a wireless set, were arranging to install a telephone, and had taken the subscription to John Bull, Titbits, and the Daily Mirror. It did not seem strange when Napoleon was seen strolling in the farmhouse garden with a pipe in his mouth. No, not even when the pigs took Mr. Jones's clothes out of the wardrobes and put them on. Napoleon himself appeared in a black coat, rat catcher breeches, and leather leggings, while his favorite sow appeared in the watered silk dress which Mrs. Jones had been used to wear on Sundays. A week later in the afternoon, a number of dog carts drove up the farm. A deputation of neighboring farms had been invited to make a tour of inspection. They were shown all over the farm and expressed great admiration for everything they saw, especially the windmill. The animals were weeding the turnip field. They worked diligently, hardly raising their faces from the ground, and not knowing whether to be more frightened of the pigs or of the human visitors. That evening, loud laughter and bursts of singing came from the farmhouse, and suddenly, at the sound of the mingled voices, the animals were stricken with curiosity. What could be happening in there? Now that, for the first time, animals and human beings were meeting in terms of equality, with one accord, they began to creep as quietly as possible into the farmhouse garden. At the gate, they paused, half frightened to go on, but Clover led the way in. They tiptoed into up to the house, and such animals as tall were tall enough and peered into the dining room window. There were there round and long table sat half a dozen farmers and half a dozen more eminent pigs, Napoleon himself occupying the seat of honor at the head of the table. The pigs appeared completely at ease in their chairs. The company had been enjoying the game of cards, but broken off for a moment, evidently in order to drink a toast. A large jug was circulating, and the mugs were refilled with beer. No one noticed the wander wandering faces of animals that gazed in at the window. Mr. Pilkington of Foxwood had stood up, his mug in his hand. In a moment, he said, he would ask the present company to drink a toast. But before doing so, there were a few words that he felt were incumbent upon him to say. It was a source of great satisfaction to him, he said, and he was sure to all others present to feel that a long period of mistrust and misunderstanding had now come to an end. There had been a time, not that he or any of the, of the present company had shared such sentiments, but there had been a time when the respected proprietors of Animal Farm had been regarded, he would not say with hostility, but perhaps with certain measure of misgiving by their human natures. Neighbors. 
Unfortunate incidents had occurred. Mistaken ideas had been current. It had been felt that the existence of the farm owned and operated by pigs was somehow abnormal and was liable to have an unsettling effect in the neighborhood. Too many farmers had assumed, without due inquiry, that on such a farm a spirit of license and indiscipline would prevail. They had been nervous about the effects upon their own animals or even upon human employees. But all such doubts were now dispelled. Today, he and his friends had visited Animal Farm and inspected every inch of it with their own eyes. And what did they find? Not only the most up-to-date methods, but a discipline and an orderliness which should be an example to all farmers everywhere. He believed that he was right in saying that the lower animals on Animal Farm did more work and received less food than any animals in the country. Indeed, he and his fellow visitors today had observed many features which intended to introduce on their own farms immediately. Essentially, here, the pigs had introduced slavery and brute force to get what they wanted. And now the farmers who were who didn't do that, per se, we're going to get into that later, intended to do the same thing. Let's continue. He would end his remarks, he said, by emphasizing, once again, the friendly feelings that subsisted and ought to subsist between Animal Farm and its neighbors. Between pigs and human beings, there was not, and there need not be any clash of interest whatever. Their struggles and their difficulties were one. Was not the labor problem the same everywhere? Here it became apparent that Mr. Pilkington was about to spring some carefully prepared witticism on the company, but for a moment he was too overcome by amusement to be able to utter it. After much choking, during which his various chins turned purple, he managed to get it out. If you, ever, if you have your lower animals to contend with, he said, we have our lower classes. This bon mot set the table in an uproar. And Mr. Pilkington once again congratulated the pigs on their, on the low rations, the long working hours, and the general absence of pampering, which he had observed on Animal Farm. And now, he said finally, he would ask the company to rise to their feet and make certain that their glasses were full. Gentlemen, concluded Mr. Pilkington, gentlemen, I give you a toast to the prosperity of Animal Farm. There was an enthusiastic cheering and stamping of feet. Napoleon was so gratified that he left his place and came around the table to clink his mug against Mr. Pilkington's before and trying emptying it. When the cheering had died down, Napoleon had remained on his feet, intimated that he too had a few words to say. Like all of Napoleon's speeches, it was short and to the point. He too, he said, was happy that the period of misunderstanding was at an end. For a long time there had been rumors, circulated, he had the reason to think, by some malignant enemy, that there was something subversive and even revolutionary in the outlook of himself and his colleagues. They had been credited with attempting to stir up a rebellion among the animals on the neighboring farms. Nothing could be further from the truth. Their sole wish, now and in the past, was to live in peace and in normal business relations with its neighbors. 
This farm, which he had the honor to control, he added, was a cooperative enterprise. The title deeds, which were in his own possession, were owned by the pigs jointly. He did not believe, he said, that any of the old suspicions still lingered, but certain changes had been made recently in the routine of the farm, which would have the effect of promoting confidence still further. Hitherto, the animals on the farm had a rather foolish custom of addressing one another as comrade. This was to be suppressed. There had also been a very strange custom, whose origin was unknown, of marching every Sunday morning past a boar skull, which was nailed to the post in the garden. This, too, would be suppressed, and the skull had already been buried. His, that's the skull of Major. Major is being forgotten. I told you that was going to come. His visitors might have observed, too, the green flag which flew in the masthead. If so, they would perhaps have noted that the white hoof and the horn, with which it had previously been marked, had now been removed. It would be a plain green flag from now onwards. And he had one criticism, he said, to make of Mr. Pilkington's excellence and neighborly speech. Mr. Pilkington referred throughout to Animal Farm. He could not, of course, know, for he, Napoleon, was only now for the first time announcing it, that the name Animal Farm had been abolished. Henceforth, the farm was to be known as the Manor Farm, which, he believed, was the correct and original name. Gentlemen, he concluded, concluded Napoleon, I will give you the same toast as before, but in a different form. Fill your glasses to the brim, gentlemen. Here is my toast to the prosperity of the manor farm. There was the same. So essentially what ended up happening, they changed the name back to the farm name that Jones owned. It, was, it had nothing to do. They got rid of one tyranny and it was replaced with another. There was an empty, hearty cheering as before and the mugs were emptied to the dregs. But the animals outside gazed at the scene. It seemed to them that some strange thing had happened. What was it that had altered the faces of the pigs? Clover's old dim eyes fitted from one face to another. Some of them had five chins, some of them had four, some had three. But what was it that seemed to be melting and changing? Then the applause having come to an end, the company took up their cards and continued the game that had been interrupted, and the animals crept silently away. But they had not gone twenty yards when they stopped short. An uproar of voices was coming from the farmhouse. They rushed back and looked through the window again. Yes, a violent quarrel was in progress. There were shoutings, bangings on the table, sharp, suspicious glances, furious denials. The source of the trouble appeared to be that Napoleon and Mr. Pilkington had each played an ace of spades simultaneously. Twelve voices were shouting in anger, and they all were alike. No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from the pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again. But already it was, it was impossible to say which was which. The end. This is a, this is a parable. Let's call it what it is. It's a parable written in 1946. 
right before the communists, the actions of the communists were really shown. Orwell knew it. Europe knew it. Everyone knew how bad the communists were. They didn't sit back and they didn't want to have problems with the communists because the communists ended up being allies during World War II. And the evils of communism was something that had to be sacrificed to fight the evils of Nazi Germany, um, dictatorship in fascist Italy, and uh, Japan. It had to be fought. So everyone ignored it. Animal Farm, along with um, Orwell's other book, 1984, were actually banned in Europe so that the Russians would not have to... They wouldn't have to explain to the Russians why there was this train of thought. But there's another book that I think, if you ever wanted to read a book about true communism, it's called The Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Sholtsitskin. I hope I pronounced that correctly. I'm pretty sure I didn't, but it's pretty close. And the Gulag Archipelago, in the middle, the Gulag Archipelago was about Alexander Sholtsitskin himself. It's, it's actually an autobiography. And I, I say that term loosely because he actually added a lot of people that were around him during the time. It's an autobiography of a man who got thrown in prison simply because he knew somebody from the Ukraine. He was a soldier. He was an officer in the Russian military. In the middle of the book, something really struck me. He said, you know something, um, the czarists who Lenin had, um, who Lenin had overthrown and killed, murdered, the czarists were terrible human beings. But he said it was nothing compared to the communists, the Leninists, the Bolsheviks. And it, when, when Stalin came in, Stalin made it worse. Hiring Beria as his NKVD, which is the secret police in the Soviet Union at the time. KGB is who they are now. And that's the whole thing. This is what makes our country truly, truly great. Is that our constitution... And it's the only constitution in human history that says this. You should fight against your government when they become tyrannical. That was the point of the constitution. Because here's the thing, tyranny is tyranny. It could be czarist tyranny, it could be Leninist tyranny, it can be Stalinist tyranny. And there are differences. But tyranny is tyranny. And one of the things our constitution in this country does... It tells us, no matter what tyranny comes up from our government, we need to fight that tyranny. Which is why they allowed us to carry guns. Which is why they allow free speech. We have God-given rights. Tyranny does not believe in rights. Tyranny believes that rights are given by the government, by the tyrannical. This was a very depressing chapter. I hope you enjoyed it. We are going to be doing other Sunday specials. And I think the next is going to be about the history of the United States. 
I think we need a real history of the United States, not a Howard Zinn history of the United States or a 1619 Project history of the United States, which, by the way, has been debunked, but is still being taught in schools for some reason. Let's talk about the history of the United States. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and YouTube. Visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. I hope you enjoyed Animal Farm by George Orwell. I think it is a very meaningful book today. I think it is a book that really has the, that parable applies today, and I think it's very important. Have a great weekend. Uh, have a great weekend. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. <laughs>